Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Today, our church around the world celebrates the great feast of Divine Mercy Sunday, in which we recognize how overwhelming God's mercy is for each and every one of us. Now, this feast was instituted by John Paul II in the year 2001. It's based upon the apparitions of Sister Faustina. Now, Sister Faustina lived in Krakow, Poland, and she was a nun to the Order of the Most Blessed Sacrament. Now, ironically enough, John Paul II, his home was Krakow, Poland, and he actually went to the seminary in Krakow to learn to become a priest. Now, in the 1930s, Sister Faustina began to receive these apparitions from Jesus Christ himself. And in these apparitions, Christ spoke to Sister Faustina about God's overwhelming mercy and love he had for all of us in this world. In one apparition, he gave Sister Faustina a picture, an image of himself. And it's an image in which red and white rays are emanating from his heart. Well, they depict essentially the blood and the water that ran from Jesus' side after his death on the cross. And below the picture, it says, Jesus, I trust in you. Now, Jesus commissioned St. Faustina to essentially promulgate this picture throughout the world and to tell of how wondrous and overwhelming God's mercy is for each and every one of us if we essentially just ask for it. Now, John Paul II knew about these writings regarding Sister Faustina, and therefore he was divinely inspired to create a feast that celebrated God's mercy. And therefore, we receive Divine Mercy Sunday. Now, John Paul II wanted to put this feast as close to Easter as possible. Why? Well, in the homily that he gave as he instituted this feast, he said that only one could fathom and begin to appreciate how overwhelming God's mercy is, is seen through the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Only through the passion and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ can one truly see that we have a God that will stop at nothing, nothing at all to save us, love us, and impart his mercy upon us. Now, turn to the scriptures for this weekend. The gospel is actually perfect to celebrate this feast. Notice how it begins. On the evening of the first day of the week. We'll stop right there. Here, John is trying to tie this story all the way back to the greatest story in the Old Testament. The Israelites believed the greatest story in the Old Testament was the story of creation in Genesis, in which God shows how great his power is, that he creates this entire universe that we know. And so John is trying to tell us from the very beginning of the story, the apostles are going to encounter 
something far more powerful than creation. Now it says, where the doors were locked for fear of the Jews. Locked doors are symbolic of the sinful soul, the soul that's turned inwardly on themselves. They think only about themselves and nothing about other people. Now appreciate the context in which this gospel is set in. Before Jesus' passion, death, and resurrection, for three years, the apostles and Jesus ate together, drank together, traveled together. He taught them every day. He had conversations with them. But most importantly, they shared friendship. And that's what Jesus valued the most. And yet at the moment he needed them the most, they all cut and ran. They all abandoned him in the garden. Peter What's worse, Peter, probably Jesus' best friend, denied him, not just once, but three times. Now, the apostles are hiding behind locked doors because of fear of the Jews. They killed Jesus, their leader, and now they probably fear that they're going to come out and kill them too. But I would argue they also are in fear of Jesus himself. Remember, Peter and John, early that morning, they went to the tomb. They saw the bandages in the burial clothes rolled up in the empty tomb. They've also heard reports that Jesus has risen from the dead. He's been seen by others. So now they can only assume he's risen from the dead. Well, now they're afraid. Fear. They are gripped with fear. I would say the fear of shame. The apostles are ashamed at what they've done to Jesus. They've abandoned their dearest friend. And they can only imagine how disappointed Jesus feels about them. And so they don't want to even be looked at by Jesus, let alone be appeared to by him. And yet Jesus, he enters the room despite the locked doors. Well, he transcends time and space. More importantly, Jesus transcends the obstacles that we put in our way. The obstacles, especially of sin. Jesus transcends that in order to draw closer to us. Now, the first thing that Jesus says to the apostles after his resurrection is, peace be with you. He doesn't say words of disappointment. He doesn't express anger for them abandoning him. No. Instead, he says, shalom, peace, my mercy rest upon you. Essentially, he's forgiving the apostles for what they've done. Notice also, too, next, he shows them his wounds, his hands and his side. Why? He's showing the apostles the effects of sin. Sin nailed Jesus to the cross. But more importantly, he's showing the apostles that sin has not conquered Christ. Instead, it is Jesus who claims victory over sin and death. That's why it says in the next sentence, the disciples rejoice when they saw the Lord. They're basically rejoicing in Jesus' victory over sin and death. Now, as I've always said before, One of the hallmarks of the Holy Spirit dwelling within someone is joy. Mother Teresa is a great example of that. She radiantly has this joyful disposition throughout her entire life, despite how challenging and difficult her ministry was. Now, a second time, Jesus says, peace be with you. The first time he says it, he forgives the apostles. He imparts his mercy upon them. The second time, now he commissions them to be conduits of God's mercy in the world. That's why he gives them the ability to forgive sins. Now, why is this important? Because the message 
of God's infinite mercy cannot be contained. Or it compels us, you could say, to tell everyone after we have received it. Just look at the apostles. They have been witness to God's mercy that has been imparted upon them by Jesus Christ. And now they're naturally compelled to go out into this world and tell other people about it so other people can know, believe in, and understand God's mercy for us all. You know, we do that ourselves in different ways. Say, for example, tonight you go to a movie and the movie is awe-inspiring. It changes your life. Well, what's the first thing you're going to do tomorrow morning? Well, you're going to text, you're going to email, you're going to call your family and friends and tell them, you got to see this movie. It'll inspire you in a great way. Well, that's what's happening here with the apostles. And that's what happened with Sister Faustina. Therefore, she naturally was compelled to tell the world about God's mercy. Another great example of this, Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa was also compelled to carry out, to be a conduit of God's mercy in this world. Now, look at her life. In 1946, Mother Teresa is traveling on a train to Darjeeling to recover from tuberculosis. While praying on the train, she hears a voice, a whisper, I thirst. Now, she doesn't know who said that, but she continues to pray. And for weeks, and through prayer and contemplation, she finally understood what those words meant. Those were the last words that Jesus spoke before his death on the cross. And now they are spoken to her. I thirst. What Jesus really was getting at was, Jesus thirsts for the salvation of all the souls in this world, especially those that felt furthest away from it. Shortly afterwards, Mother Teresa established her order, the Missionaries of Charity, and she brought the thirst, the thirst of Jesus Christ to the poor. She brought Jesus Christ's thirst for the salvation of all to those that were homeless, sick, dying, to the poor, to those that were destitute in this world. You see, those words had a powerful effect on Mother Teresa, such that she made them the primary mission of her order and the missionaries of charity. Mother Teresa, she brought, you know, the thirst of Jesus Christ for the souls of the poor and the suffering and the sick and the dying. She brought that to them. Now, if you go to any missionary of charity's convent and you go into their chapel, you will see on the ceiling directly above the altar are those words, I thirst. That was part and continues to be part of the mission, areas of charity's mission, to bring that thirst of Jesus Christ to the poor. Now, you say to yourself, well, how do I apply this in my life? Well, it's easy. Just follow the example of the apostles. We must take a look at Jesus' wounds. We must see the effects of sin in our life. And then, like the apostles, ask for God's mercy and we'll receive it in an abundant way. And then allow the words of Jesus Christ, peace, shalom, my mercy rests upon you, to resonate deeply with inside of us. And now that we received God's mercy, now we are compelled to go out and live out that mercy, to be a conduit of God's mercy in this world so that other people can know how abundant and overwhelming God's mercy is for all people in this world, especially those that feel furthest away from it. 
You see, every year on the second Sunday of Easter, we celebrate Divine Mercy Sunday, and we should. But I think every day of our life, we should be living out Divine Mercy Sunday by always recognizing God's mercy in our life and then living it out to the best of our abilities by showing others how much God truly has love and mercy for us all. And may the peace and the grace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.